0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorj, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. Welcome to America's
0: Roundtable! This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to be joined by a brave American, one of America's leading figures with boots on the ground in dangerous territories to counter terrorism and threats targeting Americans and America's interests. Brittany Butler is a former CIA targeting officer with first-hand knowledge in the recruitment and handling of spies and the dismantling of terrorist networks abroad. A staunch advocate for Middle Eastern women's rights, Brittany has worked to promote the rights of disenfranchised Afghan women and girls and now works within her local community to resettle Afghan refugees. The first in a series, The Syndicate Spy, now available on Amazon and your local bookstore, combines fascinating facts with heart-stopping fiction. Through this newly released book, Brittany communicates how female intelligence officers utilize both their intellect and skills to see beyond religious and cultural barriers in order to bring peace to this war-torn region. Brittany lives by the ocean with her husband and three sons. And without any further delay, we welcome Brittany Butler to America's Roundtable. Good morning and welcome, Brittany.
2: Welcome, Brittany. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Brittany, you spent
1: nine years as a CIA officer serving our country, and thank you for your service. Uh, Could you kindly share with us, uh, our audience, what led you to join the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency?
2: Yeah, so uh, my journey began back in 2004. I did an internship at the American Embassy in Paris. Um, I was so fortunate to work in the consulate section there, you know, pretty soon after 9-11. And so we were taking a look at people trying to come into the country illegally, um, you know, people with nefarious connections to terrorist networks abroad. And I had some knowledge of um, Arabic naming conventions. And I identified um, an individual that was trying to get into the country that had terrorist connections. And so, um, you know, we were kind of the first line of America's defense at that point, and making sure the people that, um, you know, wanted to attack the homeland, were not getting into the country. And so I was very fortunate to be a part of that mission. Um, Because I identified that individual, my leaders at the State Department kind of highlighted me to um, their colleagues that were working out of the embassy at the CIA. And um, they contacted me and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about joining the CIA?" And it never ac- like never occurred to me that that would be an option. Um, but I did, and I was really excited because they, uh, you know, they recruited me right out of college to be a case officer. I went through, you know, the whole process in the sense that I did all the interviews, the polygraphs, the psychological evaluations. Um, it's quite extensive, the the process to get in. And um, so, yeah, I was just really fortunate to join the counterterrorism mission and decided to do some some targeting officer work because as a targeting officer, you're kind of this hybrid officer that you are mainly located in Langley at CIA headquarters, but you do a good deal of TDYs to the field to support our operations. So, uh, the role of a targeting officer in the counterterrorism center is you do targeting work for, um, you know, in support of our recruitment operations. So you're identifying the individuals that we're looking to recruit to report back, either it's a foreign intelligence objective or a counterterrorism objective, or you're doing targeting work for kill capture operations, we in support of our military overseas or our drone program overseas. So that's kind of how I got into it and how I, um, you know, fell into the role of being a targeting officer.
1: And Brittany, in Hollywood movies, we rarely have an opportunity to see female protagonists in intelligence operations. In your book, The Syndicate Spy, which is a spy fiction based on facts, You're bringing your own experience as a CIA officer through a female protagonist. Uh, Brittany, what made you write this provocative, heart-stopping espionage thriller, The Syndicate Spy?
2: So, I really wanted to change the narrative about female spies. I think that Hollywood has kind of done us an injustice and that we're always portrayed or to a large extent, we're portrayed as these female sexual dominatrixes that only use their bodies to get information. And that's really unfortunate because that's not the case at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. We use the same tactics and tradecraft as our male counterparts. But I would argue that our job is actually a lot more difficult because we're having to do it in Areas of the world where women are not seen as as men's equal. And so not only was I dealing with the moral dilemmas that come with recruiting sources and you know running operations and war-torn areas, but then also like I'm having to overcome some some pretty significant obstacles with working within communities, um, expe- especially the extremist communities that don't see women as their equal. So had to do a lot of hard work there. And I wanted to make sure that in my novel that I showcased um, the depth and the complexity um, that is involved with with recruitment operations and how women do it at CIA. And I would argue that we, we do it pretty well.
0: Brittany, without revealing too much, could you share with our engaged and enlightened listeners about the plot of your novel, The Syndicate Spy?
2: Yes. So um it's set in the future and a time when the earth's oil reserves have been depleted. And it's um showcasing two very different females. One is an American spy. She works for a organization called the Syndicate. And the Syndicate is a conglomerate of, of allied intelligence agencies that's working to end this energy war that's going on. So um, in this alternative future, you've got people grappling for the next Oil, Right. So the next energy source. And there are these terrorists that are attacking alternative energy sites. And Juliet, my heroine, is in charge of eradicating, hunting down and eradicating those energy terrorists. And she partners with an Arab woman, a very powerful Arab woman, who happens to be the daughter of the king of Saudi Arabia to end this global energy war. And so it follows these two very strong women in that journey. And it does definitely has a very strong romantic element to it that I'm very proud of. And, um, but I've created these, these characters, these female spies with the depth and the complexity that they truly deserve. And they're very powerful women and they're very strong. and I'm very proud of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Brittany, how much of yourself do you see in your heroine, Juliet?
2: Um, you know, I have definitely infused in there a lot of my own experiences at the CIA. As you read the novel, I think you'll get a really good sense of this woman definitely worked in intelligence operations because I write from a place of authority. I've lived this life. I've worked in the Middle East. I've been a part of recruitment operations of terrorists, and I've been um, in very dangerous situations. And I have worked with really powerful Arab women. Um, That was another thing that was really important to me in this novel is to showcase these women that I worked with that had survived decades of discrimination and just hardship, Uh, you know, living throughout this war-torn region where civil war has just been a way of life for so long, yet they refuse to be victimized. And I thought, I would love to showcase both what a a real female intelligence officer is like, but then also working in partnership with these very powerful Arab women that desperately need a voice.
1: Brittany, as an attractive young American woman, uh, how were you able to build trust in the field when visiting the war-torn zones of Iraq and Afghanistan and visiting the Middle East? when meeting with Arab men and women?
2: So I think the number one tool that I always used in my arsenal was to know as much as I possibly could about a potential source or a detainee. I did my homework. I knew everything there was to know about them. And so when I came into that room and um, you know started to build my rapport with a source, I make sure to establish my authority. And I did that by letting them know I knew everything about them. I knew what their mother called them whenever they were a young child. I knew, you know, what their role was in the terrorist organization. I understood how the terrorist organization worked. I understood the leadership. I knew, you know, all their tactics. That that's what really caught them off guard. They me walking in as a blonde hair green-eyed woman, you know, I think that they underestimated me, and I you always use that to my advantage because I was able to catch them off guard and say, you know, listen, I I could call them on their lies. I knew everything there was to know about them. So I think the best thing I could have armed myself with was knowledge, is just being really knowledgeable about the target set, what we were there to achieve, and how I thought we could best achieve that.
1: Brittany, the recruitment and handling of spies is very, very dangerous work. A responsibility that no one takes lightly. Uh, what was your most frightening experience as a spy?
2: I would say I identified a source within a terrorist organization that would be a direct penetration of the terrorist network. And by that, I mean, he was actually a member of the terrorist organization. So I identified him using tools and tradecraft that I'm not a liberty to reveal at CIA's headquarters in Langley. I then was asked by the field, so our stations and bases abroad, to deploy and help with the initial debriefing of this developmental source. So that was very nerve-wracking because as much research and analysis that goes in before you meet with the source, there's always the possibility that they're going to show up to the meeting and try to do you harm. And so... That was my first meeting with a terrorist, and I would say probably the most nerve-wracking. Um, but you know, I had to make sure that again, I armed myself with with as much information as I could. I did my homework, make sure that I understood his access. and um, but you're always taking a chance. It's always a risk. So I, I deployed to the Middle Eastern country. I met with the terrorist, um, you know, working in partnership with our Arab intelligence agencies that we work and you know, work in partnership with quite a bit and worked with the case officer, who was the actual like the handler for the source. But as the targeting officer, I was not only responsible with assessing his access, but also serving as the subject matter expert on the extremist network that we were going after. So my part and all that was was pretty critical. And I knew that going in, and I knew that we were there to, you know, stop the next terrorist attack. So I tried to put my fear aside, and just Stay focused on the mission.
0: For our listeners who are joining us on America's Roundtable, we are joined by Brittany Butler, the author of the newly released book, The Syndicate Spy. And, Brittany, female spies are something we see often in movies, but don't hear much about in real life. We're very familiar with Ian Fleming's James Bond or Jason Bourne, among others. And are these Hollywood portrayals accurate when we look at the realities on the ground? And how did your real experience translate to? to the one we see in fictional worlds today.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, it's not at all like you've seen in a lot of movies and TV shows. Um, I think probably the closest that comes close to it would be a movie called Zero Dark Thirty, where it follows the hunt for Osama bin Laden. Um, Shows like Homeland, for example, that is is such an inaccurate uh, portrayal of a female spy. And again, I, I talked about the injustice that I think is done because she like sleeps with her terrorist, she gets pregnant with his baby, she's totally bipolar, crazy person, while James Bond is portrayed as this, you know, very capable, strong, totally mentally with it individual. And again, I think there's a disservice there. I think that we need to let, you know, real female spies emerge from the shadows and tell their story about how it really is. So I'm really excited about changing that narrative and portraying, you know, portraying us how we, how we actually are. Right. And Brittany, with only approximately 15%
1: of the CIA being female, what was your experience like as a woman working for this primarily male organization?
2: So I say it was quite challenging. I, I had to um, you know, I talked a lot about arming myself with knowledge. I always had to be smarter, you know, and know more than anyone else in the room. And that was the way that I established my authority, established respect with my male colleagues. They knew, you know, whenever I was a part of an operation that there would no be no detail um too small for me to know. So I remember sitting at a a a pretty, pretty big time meeting. And I was sitting kind of behind a lot of the senior men that were all sitting at the table was all men, because it's still very much a good old boys network, unfortunately. And all the women are kind of like seated, seated behind the men. And they asked a question, we were doing a surveillance operation about how far one compound was from the other. And no one in the room could answer the question. And I was able to answer it like down to the meters and nor I could say northeast of this and southeast of this by these meters and they everybody kind of looked turn around and was like wow she really understands and the senior um, case officer in the room said I want her to lead this operation because I really you know I understood all the details and so I do think that women in particular we're I think we're a little bit more analytical and I hope no one will take that as a Sexist remark, I don't mean it like that at all, just in the sense that we do overanalyze everything. Or I could I can only say that I overanalyze everything. And I think that I use that to my advantage while at CIA because I was constantly questioning every operation and thinking, okay, what could go wrong? Well, what if we did this differently? What, you know, what are the possibilities here? And maybe my male counterparts were more like, let's get out there, let's go get them, let's get in the field. They were ready for the action. While I I tended to be a little bit more um, hesitant, you know, and just say, okay, let's, I was ready to go. I was, you know, I wanted to get the bad guys, but I also was like, let's make sure we really think through everything.
0: Brittany, Natasha Sardosh and I were truly delighted uh, and honored to meet with you just recently here in the Washington DC area (laughs) and uh, learning a little bit more about uh, your efforts, the book, The Syndicate Spy. And what would you like readers to take away from this Uh, exciting book that uh, we had a difficult time putting on the table. It was uh, captivating. We were with you as you describe the events and uh, efforts of these individuals in the book. Uh, What would you like readers to take away from the book, The Syndicate Spy?
2: So I'm having, I know a lot of the listeners can't see me right now, I'm having a hard time not smiling too big because really I wanted to entertain people. I want people to have a good time. I want them to escape reality and just enjoy the story, enjoy these characters and the world that I've created. Of course, there are these underlying messages about female empowerment that are very important to me and that I wanted to to get across to readers um but i also i do believe that through literature you can reach a much wider audience and through entertainment uh, about these you know really serious issues um but in reading my story i hope that you're able to, to to take away with it okay i really understand intelligence operations more i know what it would be like to be a spy I understand the obstacles that women are up against in the Middle East, both from an American um, female intelligence officer and then an Arab intelligence officer, what that would look like for a female. And um, yeah, just to have a good time and also to know that intelligence operations, again, not like the movies, it's not a one man or one woman show. It's many committed individuals all working together to achieve objective. Anybody who has been involved in either a military operation or intel operation knows that. You've got your geospatial analysts that understand the terrain. You've got your SIGINT analyst who has intercepted all of the You know, text messages and phone calls from a certain area. You've got, you have all these experts in the room, and you all need to work together and make a concerted effort if you're going to be successful in an intel operation. And that's something else that I would like to, um, you know, come across in the book, and that it's not a one man or one woman show. It's many people who love this country, who love America, that are, um, you know, sacrificing a lot to make sure that we continue to be safe.
0: Brittany, our engaged listening audience uh, responded uh, when we witnessed the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was led by the Biden administration, leaving over 1,000 Americans behind enemy lines. And the botched Afghanistan withdrawal left behind some $7.2 billion in equipment. Uh, Today, the Taliban is gloating by posting via social media the hundreds of trucks, Humvees, and other U.S. equipment which the Taliban now claims it has repaired and will be using. And our listeners have been very concerned about this because they also realize, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out most recently, that the U.S. military spent some $14 trillion during two decades of war. And tens of thousands of America's Afghan allies were left behind. And as Natasha and I were in the Middle East and Europe meeting with leaders and uh, individuals who were influencers, they were also very disturbed and shocked when they saw the images. And uh, we noticed you know, how hundreds of individuals were trying to jump on these military cargo planes and trying to get out of Kabul. Uh, Brittany, when we reflect on that fateful day, um, what are some of the uh, immediate thoughts that came to you uh, as we you know, witnessed also uh, the lives of 13 service members which were taken away though that fateful day in Kabul? And, and what are lessons for America going forward?
2: Well, I think we have a real duty to honor the alliances with the people that help us defeat al-Qaeda. Um, I think this will have implications for future wars. Whenever CIA is trying to do the work of intelligence, you know, building partnerships with people, trying to get people to work with us. If we can't follow through on our commitments to these relationships, we're going to have a really hard time in future wars because they're going to remember how all of this went in Afghanistan. They're going to remember that we couldn't honor our commitments to them, and it's just very tragic uh, to watch what happened. You know, especially my last account at the CIA was Afghanistan and Pakistan, um, working counterterrorism operations specifically. So that's why I got so involved with the Afghan refugee resettlement program here in South Carolina because. I I really felt like I had a duty to honor um you know the people who sacrificed so much to help us win against al-Qaeda after 9/11 and make sure that they weren't able to reconstitute themselves to launch future terrorist attacks. Um so that's very important. I think that's one element is you know honoring those alliances or honoring those commitments. Uh I think another part of it is you know taking a look at Al Qaeda, and if they're able to reconstitute themselves, I think it's very scary when you look at, you know, the Taliban, how swiftly they were able to take back over the country. And, you know, you look at the Zawahiri raid, I mean, Al Zawahiri, the leader, the previous leader of Al Qaeda, you know, the Taliban said, we're not going to harbor Al Qaeda anymore. But they did. I mean, we that's where we found them. That's where we killed them. And so we know that they're not telling the truth. We know they're not honoring their commitments. They're also not honoring their commitments to uphold women's rights. And, you know, they've taken they've stripped them away gradually and where they're non-existent. Um, so we know we can't trust them. And um, I think that, you know, the withdrawal, I understand why um why Biden did it, but it was just executed horribly. And I I just can't imagine that. We didn't have the capabilities to do that better, to, to go in there and to find a way to, you know, get all of our equipment out um, and then also to, um, you know, honor our commitments to the people on the ground that helped us to win that war. Uh, I think we also need to pay close attention to what Sayyaf al-Adil does, um, the current leader of al-Qaeda. He's supposedly in Iran Um, and we need to see, you know, how the way the CIA evaluates terrorists is their ability to launch external operations. So to a large extent, the argument has been made, well, you know, we can withdraw from Afghanistan, you know, the Taliban, the Al Qaeda hasn't had a chance to reconstitute itself. Well, I think we need to, I need to, we we need to pay close attention to what happens in the coming years. I I know that our, uh, our focus right now is on, you know, what's going on with Ukraine and Russia and some of the larger state actors. But I think we also need to, you know, pay attention to what happens in terms of Al Qaeda's ability to reconstitute itself and their ability to launch external attacks.
1: Uh, Brittany, you addressed the rights of Afghan women. So while we were there for 20 years, our presence was liberating for the Afghani people and especially for women and girls who are able to enjoy their freedoms. The U.S. military came to Afghanistan in 2001 to capture Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda terrorist group members who were responsible for the horrific attacks on September 11. The U.S. military removed the Taliban from power in Afghanistan. We left Afghanistan in 2021 and that was political expediency and it should not have been done at that time but the Biden administration was pushing for a 20-year anniversary pullout from Afghanistan. In our chaotic withdrawal, 13 U.S. service members were killed while helping to oversee the evacuation from the Kabul airport. So, the Taliban usurped the power in Afghanistan after our chaotic withdrawal. And since then, the Taliban pushed for Islamization and banned women from working, getting an education or having a visible role in society. Afghan girls are now banned from education. Uh, Brittany, what comes to your mind when thinking about your visits to Afghanistan and meeting those women as a CIA officer and thinking about
2: what is next for them mm-hmm. for the future of Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I'd like to draw everyone's attention to what's going on in Iran um, with the women standing up there. I, I'm really impressed by just the resiliency of those women, even under threat of detainment or uh, torture even, uh, you know, under the the current regime there. I think the men have stood up alongside the women in that country for women's rights. And I think that Afghan men have a duty to do the same thing for the women in their country, that they need to stand alongside the women in that country and help fight for their rights. Um, I think Iranians have been a good example of that, just to make sure that, you know, the women are not on their own. Meeting with Afghan men, a lot of them felt, you know, the same way American men do about their daughters, about their wives, about wanting them to have the best future possible. I remember meeting with one source in particular, he had seven daughters and he said, I want them to be educated. I want them to have better lives. I want them to prosper and not go hungry and have good, you know, not only education, but healthcare. The mortality rate for pregnant women right now is Horrible, and maternal, um, fetal health is a, a huge crisis in Afghanistan. So, um, I know, I know fathers, I know brothers, I know husbands, and Afghanistan must feel this way. But they have, they have to put it in action. They have to stand up with the women, with with their daughters, with their wives, with their sisters, and fight for their rights. I think Iran has been, um, you know, a good example of what can be done if people come together within that country, because it's not it's not something that America can impose on them. It has to come within. Mm -hmm. It has to be the people of Afghanistan that fight for their their rights and to make a change.
0: Brittany, we understand that Cinder could spy the new novel that is out in on Amazon and bookstores, and we'd encourage our listeners to get their copy uh, before it goes out of stock, right? Yes. And uh, this is the first of a series. Now, Brittany, can you give us any hints for what's to come in the next book? Uh, I mean, for those of us that have read the book, uh, we're eager to know what's the next step there.
2: Well, I think this is a The last question was a perfect parlay into to this answer and that it's going to deal a lot with women's rights. And it's going you're going to see what it would look like to have a female in power in the Middle East. So that's my little tidbit. And Russia will be involved in the next one, too. We're going to talk about Russia in the next book
1: right and, and just indeed. also to mention that you are also today involved in promoting the rights of disenfranchised Afghan women and girls, and you work within your local community to resettle Afghan refugees. And what are some of the individual stories that you can share with us about the plight of Afghani women?
2: So I think it's really hard um you know, to resettle in a country so different from your own. So what we've been doing um, a part of Lutheran services is the organization I've been volunteering with. And we've created these things called um, a circle of welcome for, um, you know, Afghan uh, refugees. And what we try to do with the women in particular is to set up dinners to make sure that all the Afghan women kind of are able to meet up and have dinner together in Charleston and, and you know, and meet each other and be able to build community that way. Um, you know, they don't, because this is such a different culture from their own, they're not used to like how to operate kitchenware, like something we just know how to do a gas stove or whatever. They're are They don't know how to do any of that. So another thing that we've done is, um, we've gone into the homes and shown them like how to work our appliances. Um, we've make sure to, That they have furniture for their apartments and homes. We get donations for clothing for their children, formula for their babies. We make sure to, you know, set up rides for them to and from work. Um, dental dental work is something that I've been advocating for for them. Um, we need dentists that can that can volunteer their time and expertise to help um, these refugees with their dental problems because a lot of them have never even received dental care in, Af- well, in Afghanistan because the healthcare is so poor. So, yeah, so I'm just really excited to be a part of those efforts and, um, and, you know, and to help where I can uh, with people who have given our country so much and and really helped to align with us in terms of of fighting against terrorism.
1: It's very commendable work that you do. And Brittany, when can we expect a streaming TV series of uh, The Syndicate Spy?
2: So my manager in Los Angeles is working on that. He, he It's out to producers, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. Oh, oh that's wonderful. exciting indeed.
0: Well, we certainly encourage our engaged uh, listening audience to get the copy, the book, The Syndicate Spy, now available on Amazon and at your favorite local bookstore, Brittany Butler. Thank you so much for taking time and joining us on America's Roundtable and wish you continued success as you engage with across America and travel across this great land meeting our fellow Americans.
1: Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you for having me.
2: God bless. God
0: God bless. bless. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Insamy, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorj, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com.